Thanks for pressing play. You're listening to Lockhead on Marketing, the number one charting podcast for marketers, entrepreneurs, and category designers with a different mind. And you're not hallucinating. This is producer Jason. Pirate Christopher is sailing the seven seas this week, so we're dropping a legendary conversation that Chris had with Anna Furmanov on the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. They discuss creative marketing, category design, guns, human composting, and more. Yes, I said human composting. Just listen. Trust me. Our friends at Acceleration Economy are hosting a legendary virtual event called the Digital CIO Summit. It's not a stretch to say that some of the smartest people in the technology industry are going to be participating. And when some of the smartest people in the world are willing to share their thinking, particularly at a moment in time like this, it's an incredible opportunity. You'll learn from CIOs like FedEx's Rob Carter, ASU's Lev Gonick, and Goya Foods's Suvajit Basu, and many others as they share how they are harnessing the power of technology to grow and scale their companies. Chris will also be speaking, and trust me, this is a feature and not a bug. Just don't heckle him because his razor wit is considered lethal on all seven continents. The Digital CIO Summit is April 4th through 6th, and registration is free at aeciosummit.com. Now, put your mind in a different place, and I can't believe I get to say this. Hey-ho, let's go. This is Lockheed on Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. Your brain tricks you into thinking you're in the conversation. And the reason we know this is because our listeners say to us often when the podcast comes to an end, they go, hey, I'm not done talking to you about this. And they literally text or call one of their friends because they want to talk about because they were just in this thing and they're still feeling in it. And so long story longer, no ads during the middle of the conversation. You're going to hear ads before and after, but not during the dialogue. We could make more money. Well, fuck it. So you got to decide you know, what your financial objectives are and what is the experience you want to create. Sometimes not making the money is the right answer. Now, look, it's easier when you don't have to make money, but I had this attitude long before I didn't have to work. Most content today is screaming, buy shit from me, buy shit from me, buy shit from me now. And we stop consuming it. If you're at an early stage or growth stage VC-backed startup, you're in the right place. Season one and two, I brought on startup founders, marketing and sales leaders to explore brand demand, what approaches work well, challenges and category design. For season three, we're going deep into messy creative experiments, marketing innovation, pushing boundaries, how to make creativity achievable at a growing startup, why it's so important today, balancing creativity with results and how to sell the CEO on the creative stuff. I'll also talk to creatives like artists and writers to understand their approach to creativity and what we can learn and apply to marketing at our startups. See you inside. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast, where we are going in season three, deep into creativity. I'm really excited because I have someone that has agreed to come back for the third time, Christopher Lockhead. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad that you said yes to come back on. 
Oh, well, thanks for having me, Anna. I, lo- I love the work that you're doing, and I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime you like. Oh, I appreciate that so much. So Christopher Lockhead, if you guys do not know by now, he's a three-time Silicon Valley public company CMO. Christopher makes a lot of great content, podcasts, books, newsletters for entrepreneurs and marketers with a different mind. And I think pay attention to that, highlight that, because that is why I enjoy bringing you on the show, Christopher, is and especially for season three, where we're talking about creativity, pushing boundaries, marketing innovation. So Christopher, your newsletter is called Category Pirates. Your podcasts are Follow Your Different and Lockhead on Marketing. And the books that you've put out include Play Bigger on Category Design, Niche Down, Become Legendary by Being Different, and most recently, Snow Leopard, Why Legendary Writers Create a Category. And a couple more things. So you were on episode 44 with me. That was the very first time you came on the show. We talked about why 98% of startups and marketers waste their time and how companies that lead with category design are valued at five times more, what makes a legendary entrepreneur, how to explain category design to a seven-year-old. That was really cool. This is still one of my most popular episodes, by the way. Episode 44. So folks, check that one out. There's a lot of great conversation in that one. And then episode 108, why most business content is 100% content-free and how non-obvious ideas can help. That was the latest one. And now we're diving into creativity. And I think this is a perfect time to do that. 2023, kicking that off. So great to have you here. I just want to give a quick backstory for season three which I've been saying on pretty much all the episodes coming out this past month, but I think it's really important for new people that are joining. Season one and two, I brought on startup founders, marketing and sales leaders. We were exploring brand demand, what's working well, what are the challenges? We talked about category design, which my listeners actually really enjoy hearing about. So I think I'm going to continue to talk about that lens. But for season three, I want to go deeper into creative, messy creative experiments, pushing boundaries, how to make creativity achievable at a growing startup, balancing the creative with the results. I think that's still quite a big challenge for many companies. How to sell the CEO on the creative stuff. All of these things are really important. And I'm also bringing in creatives like yourself, Christopher. I I think of you as a creative person because you're, you know, you're writing You're podcasting, you're writing, you got your newsletter, and you're for people with a different mind. So welcome to the show. I've I've talked a lot. Let's kick it off, shall we? (laughs) Whenever you're ready, Anna, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. So the past couple of years, I asked startups, what are one to two of your most creative marketing ideas? And I'm actually putting together an article to summarize those. Takes a while to write lengthy articles, as you may know, Christopher. So after talking to so many startups on this show, I feel like creativity can be misunderstood. And I want to ask you what you think about, let's just start simple. What does creative mean to you? Bringing into being something that did not exist. So something new. It has to be something new. I mean, you can take an existing thing and innovate on top of it to create something new. Every band starts off playing cover songs. So uh, that's totally fine. But at the end of whatever the creative process is, it yields a new creation. And sometimes that's a doodle on a page. And sometimes it's a new piece of code. And sometimes if you leave boys alone with girls, they'll create a new person. And there's lots (laughs) of different 
acts of creation that bring new things into the world. But fundamentally, I think creation is about exactly that. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, bringing something new that did not exist before. But like we're human, so we don't know everything that existed before. So what we might think that is something that we're creating that's new may not actually be new. So I think it has to be new for us, right? Because we can't possibly know, like maybe we're working on something, but that was done 20 years ago or 50 years ago. So maybe it just has to be new for us. Yeah, sure. I mean, it might be a new uh, insight that you have or a new discovery that you make only to find out that, you know, somebody really smart and awesome has been talking about or creating these ideas for 50 years. So that's very, very possible. That said, I think whenever we add something to thinking, we're creating something. So now, look, that said, as you know, there is more content, free content in the world today than at uh, any time before. If you look at Atomic Habits, by way of example, the book, well, it's essentially a regurgitation of Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning, you know, with the twist. Okay, fine. Do we really need to be taught that the way to make uh, ongoing change in our life is just to take that change, break it down into small pieces and do a little bit every day? Well, that's a number one best-selling book that sold millions of copies. And look, I'm not being critical of James Clear. It's helped a lot of people. But the reality is there's very little new in the idea of Atomic Habits. The biggest selling nonfiction book of the last 20 years is a book by a guy named Mark. I think it's Mark Manson is his name. And the book's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And the whole book can be summarized in a sentence that says, don't give a fuck about anything you don't give a fuck about and focus on what you do give a fuck about. End of book. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of radically obvious border lining, bordering on stupid obvious stuff that really scales. I just got pitched a quote unquote author and influencer to come on my podcast. And I looked at her page and her entire, she, you know, has a bazillion followers and everyone goes, yeah. And, you know, she posts stuff like, you know, you are the only thing keeping you from your dreams. And like two million people give it a like and stuff. And just there's all of this radically obvious, borderline, stupid, pablomatic junk on the internet. And look, if you pick up a copy of Inc. Magazine or Fast Company Magazine or most business magazines, there's nothing to learn in those things. And there hasn't been for a very long time. So when you do pick something up that actually has value, it's like, wow, I got to tell people about it. Right. And that's why it's so important to figure out how to make these new connections so you can create something that did not exist before. Yes. That's why I like this concept of creativity so much. So creative for you means bringing into existence something new, something that did not exist before. You can use old things and put them out in new ways and make meaningful connections that did not exist before, right? It's a new creation. Yeah, and fundamentally, that's what category design is about. I just heard about a new category this morning. You want to hear the latest? What's the latest? Once you have the category design <laughs> yeah. lens, you see new categories and you see categories and the relationships between them and how that influences the way people make decisions about life and business and so forth everywhere. It's a, you know, we believe category design is the most powerful skill in business. All right. So here's the latest new category. You ready? Yeah. Human composting. So I believe it's legal. Taking humans? Humans. You take a dead person. And instead of burying them in a coffin or cremating them, you compost them. And the human composting service provides you a giant set of bags with your loved one in them. 
oh, this is a whole new level. You can plant mom in the garden. I know people do that with animals, like pets. People do that with pets, like hamsters. But this is an, a whole new level. Yeah, and it's upsetting to some people. The Catholic Church is very angry about uh-huh. it. I might be wrong, but I think it's legal in New York. It's legal in California. It's legal, I think, in Oregon and Washington State and a few other places. I'd have to Google it to make sure, but it's legal in uh, not just a few places. And in some of the places you might think such an idea would be legal. And the way the environmentalists talk about it is... Some of us don't want our last act on Earth to cause massive CO2 damage. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the data in front of me, but, you know, cremation causes CO2 emissions. And if you're somebody who doesn't want to do that, this is an interesting option and a quote unquote natural one. I don't know whether I like the idea or not. I'm interested in it. I'm curious about it, like I am about most new ideas. But there you have it. Over time, if this new category develops... You'll go to a funeral home and they'll offer you a a casket with a traditional burial, a cremation, or a composting. We'll see if the category takes off. Fascinating. All right, everybody, keep your pulse on this one, human composting. On that note, (laughs) let's go back to the creative stuff. So you personally, Christopher, when have you felt the most creative? Like, Can you think about a time when you felt the most creative and what were you working on? And why did it feel so creative for you? Yeah, so for me, creativity really at a high level comes in two ways. One is just pure inspiration, right? You're out on a walk, you're washing the dishes, you're in the shower, you're whatever it is you're doing, and an idea comes into your head. Because I'm a writer, I I get sentences delivered to my head and or ideas hiding in paragraphs. And then I'll have to immediately get to a piece of paper or my my iPhone or whatever and write that shit down. And I just have an ongoing tickler file of all of those things. And so, you know, that can happen anytime, all the time. My wife will see me running across the house to grab a pen or to grab my phone and start talking to it. So I don't forget the idea. Uh, Sometimes I'll repeat it to myself and repeat it to myself and repeat it myself until I can, you know, get it down on something. I was taught when I was in grade two or grade three that you could remember things on your finger. So I will often take an idea and put it on my finger. Like write it on your finger? No, just mentally stick it there. Oh. So I'll say human composting, human composting, human composting, and I'll put it there and know that it's sitting there waiting. And, you know, I would say 60, 70% of the time, I remember what I put on my pinky. (laughs) The bummer is when you forget what's on your pinky, you just knew it was great, which is why I try to get to my phone or a piece of paper so quickly. Yeah. I'm somebody for whom thinking about thinking is a very important thing. And so I'm always thinking and I'm always thinking about thinking, which is different than having thoughts. And we can talk about because creativity requires thinking. And what most people call thinking is actually called having thoughts. And having thoughts is not thinking at all. Having thoughts just happens to be the shit that rolls through your head. That tends to be, I like this and I don't like this focus. Thinking tends to be, hmm, I know I just said I like this idea. I don't like human composting. You hear it for the first time. We all have a reaction. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's horrible. That sounds fantastic. Whatever the reaction is, right? We immediately plug in an existing assumption about an idea, particularly a new one. And then most of us go with that first idea. Oh, that sounds disgusting. That's what we do. And we never stop and go, hmm, tell me about human composting. Let me suspend my knee-jerk reaction. That's when thinking actually starts. So the thought we have is not us thinking. It's a reaction. It's what Roger Martin, the world's greatest management thinker, calls reflexive thinking. I think we might have talked about this before. 
what's our reflex when an idea comes up or when somebody says something? And real thinking is reflective, which is, okay, well, I had a reaction, but a reaction is not fucking thinking. Then you got to say, okay, well, what is thinking? And most people have a very hard time with thinking. You want to hear a controversial one by way of example? Yeah, I'd love to. So there's a debate right now in our country called, should we or should we not ban assault weapons? Now, in category design, we teach two things right off the top, which is number one, listen to the words. What do the actual words mean? Ban assault rifles. Okay. Now, when we say that, everybody has a reaction. Yeah, that'd be really great. We should ban assault rifles. We shouldn't ban assault rifles. The United States of America is built on the Second Amendment. Go fuck yourself, right? Or somewhere on that spectrum. What very few people do is go, hmm, what's an assault rifle? So it turns out, if you're willing to ask that question, there's no such thing. There's a rifle, there's a shotgun, and there's a handgun. Those are the categories. And with rifles, there are semi-autos and there are autos, automatics. I believe in most of America, if not all of America, you cannot buy an automatic uh, weapon. And you can, of course, buy a semi-automatic firearm. So there's no such thing as an assault rifle. Unless you want to say an automatic rifle is a weapon of war, then you can say that. If you want to call that an assault rifle, I guess maybe you can. But the point being, what people want to do is they want to ban the AR-15. Well, here's the interesting thing. It's just a rifle. So you can ban the AR-15, but there's all kinds of other rifles that don't look as scary that do plus or minus the same thing that an AR does. So the minute you start talking about you want to ban ARs or assault rifles, the minute you say that, and I'm not voicing an opinion one way or another, but the minute you say that, you've proven to anybody who knows anything about the topic that you actually don't even know what you're talking about. And so the question you should be asking is, should we ban rifles? And we can have a debate about that. But the minute you say, I want to ban assault rifles and not other rifles, you've immediately shown yourself to anybody who knows the slightest bit about firearms that you don't even know what you're talking about. Anyway, the point being, we don't think, particularly when somebody brings up something hot, which is why I brought that example up. That's why it's not good to talk about politics when you're sitting at the family dinner table with like extended family. It's because you say something and it's like automatic emotions and there's no thinking involved. It's just reflex, right? Not reflective. Well, so I actually do like to bring up politics at the oh, okay. Thanksgiving or anywhere else or any other tough topic, all the things you you're not supposed to talk about. Right. Well, it's only the way we run our country for fuck's sake. So if we can't talk about that, then what, I mean, and so what I try to do in those situations, and I'm, look, I'm not always successful. I'm a person. I'm emotional. I can get upset quickly when somebody says something that I find upsetting or offensive or what have you. And... I try to teach myself to be a person who's curious first and judgmental second. And so if somebody says we should ban all guns in America, I have an opinion about what we should and shouldn't do with guns like everybody else. But I have tried to train myself to be a person that says, oh, okay, tell me about why you think that. And there's a theory in thinking that goes like this. Ask why five to seven times. Like kids do. Yeah. And then you get to the heart of it. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Why do dolphins live in the ocean? Oh, fuck. I don't know why dolphins live in the ocean. (laughs) Did they live on land and move to the ocean? Have they always been in the ocean? So when a child asks me a question like that, I just pulled that one out of the air. 
I don't know why dolphins live in the ocean. So I would say, well, let's ask ChatGPT why dolphins live in the ocean. <laughs> right. Right. And then you say, okay, well, did they always live in the ocean or did they evolve from the land into the ocean? Did they always look the way they look now or did they look differently? Oh, there's different species of dolphin. Okay, well, what are the different species? Oh, some dolphins are a lot bigger than other dolphins and some dolphins this and so. I, I don't know what about dolphins, right? The point being, when you want to get into a new area, asking why a lot and doing our best to remove as much judgment as possible. Yeah, which is hard for people, I think, because we're wired to have opinions and stick to them. And it's really hard. I want to go back to when you said creativity requires thinking. And, you know, you said like the one one way that I have felt the most creative is just pure inspiration. And the other way is like you're thinking about thinking. It's a very important thing. And creativity requires thinking. So do you have a process for how you approach creativity for that second? Like thinking about thinking, how do you approach that? How do you make sure that what you're spending your time on when you sit down to think about thinking and like get creative and start writing that newsletter or something that you're working on, like a book? Yeah. How do you approach creativity to make sure that that's actually creative and you're putting something new, right? New creation out into the world. Yeah. So when I do that on purpose, so it doesn't just show up in my brain and I'm running out of the shower trying to find a piece of paper, is a purposeful, conscious approach to getting myself in flow. And it sounds like a very West Coasty, granola whatever to some people. But the reality is flow, a flow state. And we've had Stephen Kotler on multiple times. He's the author of The Art of Impossible. I think that's his most recent book. He wrote The Art of Superman. And he's based a lot of his work on I believe he's an MIT professor whose name is Mikhail Mayinkatinka. He's got a very long last name that I can't remember. Yeah. He's the godfather of flow and he wrote the book flow and it's worth a read. It's a heavy lift, but it is worth a, a read. So what I've learned from Stephen and Mikhail and many others about this topic is a flow state is one where we are so immersed in whatever it is, we lose ourselves in it. See, right now you and I start a conversation at the beginning of the conversation, we're both very radically self-conscious. As we begin to talk, Celeste Headley taught me this, the legendary journalist. A legendary conversation is a game of catch. See, what's different in a game of catch or game of Frisbee is I want you to catch the Frisbee. I want you to catch the ball. If you and I are at the beach or at a park and we're throwing a baseball around, we both have gloves, we're playing catch. What we're not doing is throwing it over here, trying to not let the other get it. We're actually trying to let the other get it. And so in a conversation, flow can happen when we play catch and we shut up and we do this remarkable thing that happens almost never. And that is A, we fucking listen to each other. And what most people call listening is actually called waiting to talk. And in a flow state conversation, because I'm not self-conscious about me, I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about this game of catch that we're playing. And even though like right now you're not talking, you're nodding. So I can tell that we're throwing the ball back and forth, even though you haven't said anything for the last minute or so or whatever it's been. And so we have to be conscious that what we're trying to achieve is this flow state. And the way we achieve this flow state is we begin to play a game of catch and we lose our self-consciousness and we lose ourselves in the activity. It could be in the thinking. It could be in the writing. Athletes have this all the time. I'm a weekend warrior athlete. I'll be skiing next week in Tahoe. And when you're skiing, all there is is the skiing. All you're doing is 
dancing or, if you will, playing a game of catch with the mountain. And so a flow state for me anyway, and I'm not the expert that Stephen is, I think he's actually coming back on my podcast. He's an incredible guy. You should have him on. Awesome. And his book, The Art of Impossible, is one of the greatest books written in the last five or 10 years or so. And his book, The Art of Superman or The Rise of Superman, just knocked me over. Anyway, and so that's a flow state. And what that gives when it's not physical, although I get flow states physically all the time, but in a thinking, creative, non-physical domain, you get this thing called thinker's high. Like runners talk about runner's high. You know, you've been out running maybe at yeah. different times for different people, but you know, at the 20 minute mark, you get into a real rhythm or whatever it is and you get runner's high. In surfing, that phrase is called stoke. And you can be quote unquote stoked after one great wave. One great wave is less than 30 seconds. But if you have one great wave, you can be stoked. That is a feeling of high for days. And the interesting thing is, whether it's physical or mental, when you're in that flow state, you disappear for you and you're fully engaged. And one of the things I love about Category Pirates is we're a business writing band. There's three of us and we like to jam. And my favorite thing, we have our calls on Friday morning. My favorite thing in Category Pirates is showing up to that call, us talking about ideas and then jamming. And that yields a, you know, six to 8,000 word piece of creation in a week or two. And that is pure joy. And so to be in a flow state like that, at least for me, I want to put myself in a situation where I am like radically happy, sit somewhere I like to sit. I like to sit in the garden. I like to listen to music, uh, tune out the whole world. I shut down my browser and my email because I don't want anything bugging me. And I sit there and I start writing uh, when I'm alone. And I purposely am left alone. The people who love me in my life know that uh, don't come and see me when I'm doing that. <laughs> don't interrupt me. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of the approach I take on the mental side and on the physical side. I just engage myself in the activity and try to lose awareness of myself and have heightened awareness of my environment. Hey, it's Anna, the host of Modern Startup Marketing, the show that you're listening to. I'm also the founder of Firminov Marketing Consulting. People call me the Marie Kondo of startup marketing because I help early stage startups clean up their marketing mess with the right strategy and execute with laser focus. So whenever you're ready, there are three ways I can help. One, as a fractional startup CMO, I've had over 25 happy clients and mentees. Two, you can sign up to get my monthly newsletter where I'm sharing playbooks and insights and maybe cracking some jokes. And three, you can sponsor this top 10% podcast and get startup founders, marketers, and VCs hearing about your brand. And now back to this episode. That's perfect. I think you summarized your approach to creativity and that feeling you get, the thinker's high. I know about the runner's high. I did not know about Stoke for surfing, but that feeling for thinker's high makes sense. Like, why do we like to do it? I know about flow. I didn't know that there was a thinker's high, but I realized that there's a reason we like to come back to it and like sit and give ourselves a space and tell people not to bug us and think about thinking to put yes. out new ideas into this world. Now it all yes. comes together. It's a scientific thing. There's a thinker's high. It is. Yes. And you and I, as we continue to have this conversation, are very likely to start experiencing thinker's high because we're as we play this game of catch. We're each learning things from each other based on what the other says. And the beauty of podcasting 
is today, authentic dialogue almost never happens. And a podcast is the only medium for real, unedited human conversation. And it's only by turning off our fucking brains, turning off our fucking phones and all that stuff and sitting here going, you know what? My objective is to have a legendary conversation with Anna and hopefully contribute to her and hopefully learn something from her. Okay, that is beautiful. I'm talking to um, one of my clients about podcasting and I talk to early stage startups and you know, oftentimes I give them a list like why you may want to consider it. But a lot of times they would prefer to like write blog posts. Right. And it's hard for me to explain, like, why is podcasting so awesome? Because I can tell them it's easy to talk. You just jump on, you talk. But there's more to it than just it's easy to talk versus write something. You're right. It's like this is a place where I'm not scripting out what I'm going to say. I'm not putting bullet points, right, of what I'm going to say to everything that we talk about. I just talk and think about, listen to what you're saying, respond back, play that game of catch. I love that. So creativity, your approach to creativity makes sense. I love that you kind of set up this way of Christopher Lockhead. This is how I get into my creative zone. My This is how I, you know, I like to jam with my category pirates crew. That's great. Jamming is great. For startups, you could get creative, but how do you balance that creativity with results? So that's the other side of this is like being creative is important. I believe I'm of the impression that the more startups I've talked to, the more creative startups that push boundaries, you know, do marketing innovation, even think category design helps them to be more innovative and cut away from a very cluttered space, but they still need to think about results because it's a company at the end of the day. So how do you balance creativity with results? The sort of lens that I answered those questions from were much more from me as a writer, podcaster, creator guy, as opposed to me as an entrepreneur, CMO guy. And so I think it's very similar if you're in business and you're a marketing content creator and you're tasked with creating some great content for your company. So I think it's very similar. And Thursday, what I've learned is you have to learn how to get yourself into that state. By the way, do you want me to be radically candid? I always want you to be radically candid on my show. Yeah. I would say mm, probably half the time when I sit down to write something new, I'll have a beer and a toke (laughs) and maybe a scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do talk about whiskey sometimes, like I notice sometimes like with whiskey on top or something like that for some of your LinkedIn posts. So I kind of suspected this. <laughs> yeah. And so it would be disingenuous of me not to mention it because I do it enough that it's part of the process. Yeah. The interesting thing is it's not a requirement. So I don't, quote unquote, have to. And I don't always want to. And I don't always. So it's not an always. That said, it's no secret that alcohol is called spirits, (laughs) right? It's called libations for a reason. And so maybe you can have more spirit or tap into the spirits. And then, of course, anybody who's ever consumed any kind of cannabis knows that as soon as you play music after you get stoned, all of a sudden you hear like 5X more in the song than you ever heard. (laughs) And look, I know some people go, oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't tell people to drink drugs and drink with whatever. <laughs> look, 
I'm not talking about being a, a, an addict and a maniac. And I'm, I'm not talking about doing it. Do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying plus or minus half the time I choose to do that. And it helps to immediately relax. Look, why do in business people say, oh, let's go out and have a drink after happy hour. And you and I go out with our colleagues and we have a couple of beers or, and then we all drive home. Why do we do that? Because then we actually are ourselves with each other. And yes. we can be more creative. Lack ambition. Right? There's a set of, and I'm no doctor, but there's a set of chemical things that happen when you consume these things that one of the effects of it is our inhibitions tend to come down. Our defenses tend to come down and we tend to open up a little bit more. And so I like to write stone. Although I will tell you, <laughs> you can be too stoned to write. So you got to know yourself and you got to know what you're doing because there have been times where I get you're too You're like, stoned. what did I even write down here? Yeah. Well, you, I, you sit there for 45 minutes and you realize you haven't really written anything. And you're like, ah, fuck, I'm too stoned to write anymore. <laughs> so I just want to make the statement that we're not saying you need to do to drink or get stoned or anything in order to be creative. Just want to make that clear. We are just talking about Christopher Lockhead and I appreciate you. You know, we're exploring the way that you have found works for you and how you get creative and how you, you know, relax into it so that you can be part of that flow state. I used to travel two to 400,000 miles a year. And years ago, when I was in CMO jobs doing that stuff, we would be stuck on a big idea. And, you know, the team would have been stuck on it for, I don't know, a week or whatever. And so they'd come to me and say, you know, Christopher, we're just stuck on this. What should we do? And I say, well, shit, I need to think about this thing too. And they're like, all right, well, if we collectively don't come up with the idea that we like in the next couple of days, we are going to buy you a first class ticket to New York and fly you from here, California to New York and back because you'll come back with the idea because this was back in the day where there was no Wi-Fi on planes. If you're traveling in business class, the nice people up front bring you Jack Daniels whenever you ask for it. <laughs> yeah, I used to drink Jack and create on planes. Yeah, paints a very vivid image there. Makes sense. They're like, you're going to get on that plane and you're going to come back with great ideas. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, we just have to leave you alone for six to 12 hours and yeah. the plane's the best place to be alone. Wi-Fi on planes is the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think that too. So cool. We talked about your process. Well, we didn't actually hit like on the results part because you you mostly were were talking about how you create from a like podcaster, writer, right? Like yeah. a creative person. So when you're out of that mode and you're yeah. in more marketing mode, here's the thing. Creative and marketing means something to people. Where's the creative? Well, here's the definition of creative in business. The cash register rings. So here's the problem. And it's a very big problem. And it's why so many people devalue marketing. Many of the quote unquote creatives in marketing wish they were writers or wish they were artists and maybe even tried to do that, realized, well, there's 400 billion people trying to be an actor, singer, writer, whatever. This isn't working out. And so I got to get a real job. Well, what's a quote creative field? Oh, marketing. Excellent. So they go into marketing and they do, quote, great creative. Well, it's only great creative if it increases revenue or increases the market cap or valuation of the company. Full stop. It ain't got that thing if the cash register don't sing. And most shit in business is over creative. What does that mean? So I learned about design from a few people, three legendary designers, John Jurdy 
who's the, the legendary architect who designed the 1984 Olympics and the single most visited place in the United States of America, the Great Mall of America. Peggy Burke, who was the number one brand designer in Silicon Valley through all the heyday at 1185 design, the Cisco logo and you, like you name it. And the legendary innovative business designer and teacher, John Bielenberg. And what John said to me is the following. Do not put drapes on the Mona Lisa. That's the first thing he taught me. So don't over-design. And the second thing he taught me, and this is really interesting coming from a designer, not a writer. He said the purpose of the design in business communications is to amplify the value of the words. So write the words down. Do whatever design you think amplifies the words. Take that design away and see what's most powerful. And in business, we don't do that. First of all, marketing people win awards for, quote, creative that don't sell anything. There are these hysterical ads on TV right now for progressive. They're doing all this funny shit. There are these hysterical ads on TV right now with Gronk for uh, USAA. Wonderful. And lots of other funny marketing that we see all the time. And none of it sells anything. Zero, nothing, nada. We don't even remember. Here's a perfect example. One of the biggest campaigns in American history. Can you hear me now? 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 Right? But did it sell? Well, who even did it? Was it Verizon? You, we don't even fucking know. I think it was Verizon, but I, I, we don't know. So here's a situation where the creative was legendary, memorable, and we don't even know who did the fucking ad. Oh, and by the way, the ad was predicated on the thing we hate the most about the product. So now we might tie that to the brand, which is, oh, no, I don't want that experience, right? Well, we didn't even tie it to it because we can't remember. Yeah. There's like two taglines who you know what company they're for and every other one you don't because they're, they're meaningless and stupid and they could apply to anybody. And so creative that doesn't drive revenue and or market cap is not creative. And a lot of people in marketing get upset about that. We're not here to put drapes on the Mona Lisa. We don't need clip art. Here's what the clip art is today. You ready? Clip art today is a non-white person standing in front of something stupid. We don't need a picture of a non-white person standing in front of the New York Stock Exchange on the homepage. Business clip art is the opposite of what we're talking about here. Design should gather people's attention and engage them in the beginning of a dialogue that educates them about a new way of looking at an existing problem or a whole new problem that they never thought about and presents the possibility of a whole new solution and does that in a clear, powerful, convincing way and specifically frames, names, and claims the problem. Because the bigger the problem, the more urgent the problem, the more time, money, and energy people will apply to solving that problem. And that's why good creative, almost in the terms of how it's looked at in the marketing world, which is like an artist would look at it, is generally garbage. If it won an award, it's probably garbage. If it wins an award for creativity. And that is because in business, your creative needs to tie to business results. I totally agree. So there's got to be this, the way that you are probably approach your business, right? Because you're writing. A lot of the way that people find you is because of the podcast, because of your writing, Category Pirates, right? You need to also think about tying that to business results, right? 
Well, yes and no. I'm probably not a great example because everything I do today from an economic perspective is volleyball after school. So is making money important? Yes. Am I a business person? And so does economic outcomes around work matter to me? Of course they do. And being successful at things I apply myself to is an important thing to me. Oh, and people don't value it if they don't pay for it. And I don't give a shit about those numbers. You know, I, I look, I want to do well with them because I want to make an impact, but I am not trying to extract maximum. You know, here's a simple example. Uh, within about six or eight months, Category Pirates became one of the top 10 paid substacks in the world. And we started getting approached by people who wanted to advertise in the newsletter. And we could increase our revenue, probably, we could probably two exit or more with advertising. We said, we're not doing that. Why? Because we think about it from our own perspective. Do we want our favorite newsletter full of ads that we're paying for? No. Bullshit. Well, I, I appreciate that you said no. <laughs> Why do you appreciate it as a, uh, as a reader? Because it's one of the cleaner things I'm reading. It's just the words that you're putting together with your team. And it's clean. And that's a breath of fresh air today. Thank you. On my podcasts, we could have materially more revenue if I would break the conversation and in the middle of the conversation with Anna say, and now a word from ZipRecruiter. <laughs> well, we are a real dialogue podcast. That's the category we're in. During a real dialogue, if you and I are having a coffee or a beer, that doesn't happen. And when it does happen in a podcast, it breaks the whole magic of it because the magic of a podcast, a dialogue podcast, is for the first 15 minutes or so, we as listeners have an experience of eavesdropping. Like you're sitting in a restaurant and you're going, oh, what the fuck are those people saying? It sounds really cool. <laughs> and then at about the 15 minute mark, we know this because we surveyed our, our listeners. At about the 15, 20 minute mark, they slide from an eavesdropping experience. Your brain does this really interesting thing in a real dialogue podcast where there's no cuts and edits and all that bullshit. Your brain tricks you into thinking you're in the conversation. And the reason we know this is because our listeners say to us often when the podcast comes to an end, they go, hey, I'm not done talking to you about this. And they literally text or call one of their friends because they want to talk about because they were just in this thing and they're still feeling in it. And so long story longer, no ads during the middle of the conversation. You're going to hear ads before and after, but not during the dialogue. We could make more money. Well, fuck it. So you've got to decide, you know, what your financial objectives are and what is the experience you want to create. Sometimes not making the money is the right answer. Now, look, it's easier when you don't have to make money. But I had this attitude long before I didn't have to work. Most content today is screaming, buy shit from me, buy shit from me, buy shit from me now. And we stop consuming it. Look, would I love you to go buy Snow Leopard? Sure. If you don't buy it, that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think that is what separates you and your content from others that are making content. And it's much more, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard to find those and I'm talking about startups because that's really who I, you know, who I talk about and bring on the show. It's hard to find those startups that are separating themselves from that revenue when they're putting out creative content. But I have found them. I've brought on WorkVivo. They do a good job. I've brought on Goodles. I've brought on Public. I brought on ProfitWell. A lot of them are B2C yep. because for B2C, they get it and they have way more fun and they're creating products. And they know uh, new category designers and excuse me, in the B2B, B2C world, know what they're doing in this regard. You know, one of the companies that uh, I'm privileged to work with is called Lomi. They're the world's first smart home composter. 
and you basically dump your food waste into this thing, press a button, and three or four hours later, you get some of the most nutrient-dense dirt in the world. And you can You're put- really into composting, Christopher. I just realized this. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mentioned composting at the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, I'm a gardener, and my wife runs the last commercial farm in uh, San Jose, California. So, uh, yeah, no surprise. But anyway- if you go and you Google Lomi and you click on videos and you watch Matt, their CEO and co-founder in the videos, you will see a legendary category designer at work. The videos are not, oh, Lomi's awesome. Go by now. Operator standing by limited quantities. Send us your email, blah, blah, blah. The videos all start with framing the problem. So the first, the video that made the company, they're the fastest growing new consumer appliance in more than a decade. And the video that made the uh, the company was uh, Matt stands there and he says, hi, I'm Matt from Lomi. And he goes to the Lomi and he presses the button. He says, what if changing the world was as easy as pressing a button? And then he goes to tell the story about food waste and how horrible it is and da, 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 da. And then the power of composting and the whole story sort of plays out. But he is a legendary marketers or category designers who are educators first. From a pure marketing point of view, think of it as mega top of funnel, top of, top of, top of, top of, top of funnel. I'm going to include the link to Lomi. I'm going to check it out too. But it's absolute, like that is what I found is that the B2C side that I find more examples of that. So I'll I'll have to check out Lomi, but. There's very little good B2B marketing in tech. Very, very. I'm uncovering it, Christopher. I'm trying to uncover it. I'm trying to help. And that's why I pushed into this creative, like pushing boundaries. And really it does tie back to, right? Like framing the problem. Framing the problem. Be an educator. Be an educator. Be a missionary who's trying to educate people about a new different. That's right. And then it ties back to the creative process and how in order to be creative and to stand out, you need to start thinking about the problem, framing the problem in ways that are new and different, give people different points of view as well, right? So they can create a, the solution that ties back to your company, yes. but it's a different way to think about it. So awesome. Christopher, I know you You told me you had to run <laughs> like 15 minutes ago. But I do. I have a meeting to go to with oh some legendary God. category designers and entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Of course you do. Of course you do. Well, I'm so glad you came to join me. I always have such a fun time with you. People probably felt like they were eavesdropping on our conversation. I hope so. Yeah. And I didn't even finish asking all my questions, but I think we covered a ton of ground here. We got personal, which I love. And if anybody wants to reach Christopher, you can go on LinkedIn and find him, Christopher Lockhead. And if you want to learn more about Category Pirates, you can do so by visiting CategoryPirates.com. And Christopher, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I'll come back uh, whenever you ask me to. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.